Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. The Washington Post writes that just about every part of the United States has been hit by some form of terrorist attack since 1970. Since the Oklahoma City bombing, a greater part of terrorist attacks have been carrying out by, carried out by individuals rather than organized groups. Now, individuals who stigmatize, who polarize we and them, Stigma is defined by as a social mark that leads to discrediting of members of a group, such as people with mental illness. Stigmatization usually consists of stereotyping attitudes, often resulting in self-stigma. At the same time, compassion, mindfulness, meditation, and nonviolent communication programs are aiming at reducing hatred, seems to be flourishing in psychology. Today you're going to get to listen to the founder of ACT, Dr. Stephen Hayes, who's been studying compassion not only from a clinical research, but also from an evolutionary point of view. So Steve is going to talk to us today about this. Steve Hayes is the Nevada Foundation President, Professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada. He is the author of 34 books and over 500 scientific articles. He has, in his research, shown how language and thought leads to human suffering and has developed and evaluated acceptance and commitment therapy as a powerful therapy method used in a variety of areas. His popular book, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, was featured in Time magazine, along with several major media outlets after for a time and was for a time was the number one bestseller in the United States. You can read more about Steve by clicking on his name where you'll get his website on this week's week's episode of Act Taking Her to Hope. Welcome, Steve. Glad to be here, Jen. Steve, I know it's very early in the morning there in the <laughs> in Nevada. It's actually afternoon here in Sweden. So, Steve, from an evolutionary standpoint, um, how are you? How are you thinking about compassion and why we should try to bring more compassion to this world? Well, the reason we need to bring more compassion to, to the world is in your introduction. In If you just look around you on our newscasts and in your communities, you'll see that uh, getting along, finding a way to support each other is not an easy thing. We're such a group and socially oriented uh, species. We're constantly functioning in groups, and yet... Uh, 
we see in the forms of violence and conflict and polarization and stigmatization, the difficulties that are there. Mm. There's a deep message inside the evolution science that resonates with the messages that you've been presenting over your first uh, season uh, on your show, which is uh, that uh, evolution science suggests that when we come to care about others, when the group is important, Mm -hmm. and when we rein in uh, individual uh, selfishness. If you look at our own psychological health, it's a very similar process. Mm-hmm. There are reactions within us that are selfishly trying to claim our time. Mm-hmm. And the, the deep message inside the acceptance work is that we are whole, despite the fact that there are many competing memories, thoughts, feelings, and so forth within us. And so there are many in the ACT community that sort of see uh, a deep resonance between what evolution science is saying about cooperation and what we're learning about self-acceptance and values. And we're trying to find a way to use that to create a more compassionate and pro-social world. See if I understand that, Steve. Steve, if um, you're saying that that uh, selfish interest, for example, um, um, you know, my own personal happiness and striving for, you know, me um, is is uh, not uh, compatible with uh, with this way of of cooperation. The cooperation would be more naturally our our. Well, you know, if you uh, you probably have heard people suggest that people are inherently selfish, and the only reason that they cooperate, the only reason they're ever altruistic or care about others is that they're secretly passing on their genes so that you're going to be uh, compassionate only to others who uh, are likely to share your genes, which was a popular view, still is, probably even the dominant view still inside evolution science. But an old idea has made a comeback, and made a comeback in a big way, which is that no cooperation and concern for others happens when the group itself is important, and we are a, a, a... a species in which the group is central. But if one way to think about it is if you had a group of folks who all cared about each other and they were in competition with a group of folks who all hated each other, which of those two groups do you think would win? Mm-hmm. The cooperative group, likely. But the more cynical perspective says, yes, but as soon as somebody emerges inside the cooperative group who wants to steal and rob and hurt others, that will f- fall apart. But what restricts that is we have find find ways of restraining that, and it's very much what we're tr- similar to what we're trying to do in the work and act of restraining these selfish forces within that are trying to selfishly claim uh, a disproportionate sense of their of their time. When when we focus on a thought or a feeling, for example, to the exclusion of doing what we care about, that's a kind of allowing selfishness within to to get away with it. So. Uh, what we have in the the mindfulness work is an avenue for how we can confront that selfish piece of us and how we connect to what is very naturally part of our uh, heritage, which is to be part of a group and to care for others. Just simply the act of caring about another, of taking the time to put yourself behind their eyes, to feel what they feel, 
is itself uh, a deeply healing process. And there are forms of meditation, uh, for example, the compassion-focused therapy, uh, that do exactly that. And so uh, part of what I think we can bring to the, the conversation about compassion and caring is the clinical knowledge that individuals, uh, when they struggle, are losing contact with what is healing and helpful about caring uh, and having concern for others. You know, Steve, that reminds me of, um, I've seen studies for um, among the elderly, when, when the elderly continue to be committed to, for example, to be class grandfathers or grandmothers, uh, to, to continue to be active in uh, the community, helping that uh, that on, on many para, health or para parameters, uh, they have better health than those who are just by themselves. Yeah, that's shown in, in, in many different kinds of uh, studies. And so... Uh, it helps to understand where cooperation and compassion for others came from and to step in that uh, direction clinically and, and in your lives, uh, uh, not just because we don't want to have these kind of horrific scenes uh, on our television screens that you started your show with, but because in some sense it's a deep reflection of who we are and who we're meant to be. So, so why do we cooperate, Steve? If the group is important uh, and you have ways of reining in a selfishness, we function better when we cooperate. And so uh, we have evolved to do that. Even our, our language has evolved to do that, I believe. As you know, underneath the work that you've been exploring here, especially in the ACT work, is work on how cognition uh, uh, allows us to uh, bring things into our experience that we haven't previously experienced. Mm -hmm. And there's pretty good evidence that part of that process was learning to take the perspective of others. If I can distill it down to a single thing to sort of show you how central it is, uh, a child who if you hold up an apple and say, this is an apple, when they later hear the word apple, they're orient towards the apple. What that has allowed us to do is to take the perspective of others. If you think about that example, really it means the speaker who's looking at an object calling it a name, mm -hmm. when later they use the name for a listener, knows that you'll be able to understand that you can take the, uh, the opposite perspective as well, that that uh, name refers to an object so that once we have that, I can call across a ravine and say, do you see any apples? And you can look and say yes or no. We can extend our ability to cooperate. And so even our capacity to think, I believe, is originally a cooperative act that allows us to take the perspective of another and what their needs and wants are and to extend them inside a cooperative group. So, so what, what, which came first, Steve? It seems likely that cooperation uh, came first because it set, sets up this uh, core uh, ability. And one of the things that, that that tells us is that if it's an extension of, of cooperation, language itself, that when it goes off the rails, when we find ourselves uh, using words in order to hurt 
others. We've done something that in a way is contrary to what this tool is even for. And I, I think what we're trying to do in the ACT work and in the mindfulness work is find ways to redirect our minds back towards where we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what does this suggest about what are the key processes in creating a more compassionate, caring world? The things that we're finding on our research is that there's three things that are really critical. One, if we evolved in order to be part of a group of using our language to take the perspective of others, mm-hmm. to really get behind the eyes of the person that you're uh, thinking about or dealing with, even uh, you know, as our spiritual and religious traditions teach us, even when they're, quote, our enemies, to take the time to feel what it must be like to be that person in that context and to see the connection, the deep connection between you and them as in a sense of common humanity. Mm-hmm. That's really what we mean by empathy. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is to not run away when that's unpleasant. So that combination of perspective taking towards others, empathy uh, towards others, and then not avoiding when what arises as a result of that is painful. Those three things together predict things like, will you stigmatize and judge others across the board? Or they predict things like, do you enjoy being in the presence of others? Do you care about uh, the social company of of others? Are other people uh, uplifting to you? And you can see some of these things like not avoiding when painful things come up or right inside the clinical work that we're doing that you've been focusing on in this first year in your show. Mm. Steve, I wonder about when you talk about that, I wonder about values because um, uh, values in ACT, we, we, um, this is what people often ask about that and uh, it, it seems like when you, when you look at a values compass, uh, that you're asking for people's personal interests. And what you're saying is, I'm thinking maybe we're talking about more long-term interests than when you're saying selfish might be short-term uh, when, you're, when you're thinking about values. Or how does values come into this? Have, have you noticed, Joanne, that when you ask people about their values, when you strip away the kind of superficial things that people sometimes come to, almost always they have some kind of social component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's caring of others or contributing to others or even or or bringing beauty into the life of others. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that's uh, not by accident. I think the values piece is connecting to what is uh, deeply uh, meaningful and moving to you. Mm -hmm. But when you do that, you find parts of yourself that are uh, they're not arbitrary it's not like uh, you could just make them up i know when we when we back out of our logical linear categorical judgmental modes of mind the kinds of things that slice and dice and uh, push us away from being with others sometimes clients become afraid i've literally had clients say to me well what if i'm a psychopath what if i'm evil what if the Mm -hmm. things i want are really bad Mm -hmm. and you can see even in the distress inside the question Mm-hmm. That that's not very likely, because mm-hmm. what the person is yearning for is to be part of the group in a way that is helpful uh, to others. And when you get out of uh, your own way, 
you will naturally gravitate in that direction. So yes, values are personal and individual choice, but if they're true to who you are, you'll find them moving towards a more caring and compassionate place. And I think that's a very kind of natural thing. It's what we evolved to do. And part of what we're trying to do here in the focus on uh, cooperation from an evolutionary science perspective inside the ACT community is find a ways to connect with some of the ideas that are out there that empower us to build pro-social groups and caring groups and carrying the clinical work that we're doing into a larger and larger uh, manifestation of what is deeply inside this work of being whole and allowing yourself to care is very close to this work of being able to be with others, to have empathy for them, mm-hmm. and to uh, care together uh, about the, the human condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, so, Steve, when you... Knew- Think about the society we live in. Um, that you know, I'm thinking of advertisements that that try to fool people into thinking that um, your selfish interests will will satisfy you in the long run. So just if you consume, the more you consume, or you get this image, this uh, it's marketed as um, you know as a value. It is, and if you, and there's research on this, you know. Even if people are successful enough to have the money, for example, to be able to buy that uh, that car or to, to take that trip or whatever or to have that product that supposedly is going to make you grand, um, if the purpose of it is to avoid, uh, it actually predicts uh, suffering over time, mm-hmm. not happiness. And so... Uh, you can have compassion even for that, because if you look inside all those commercials, what they're saying is you will be welcome and you will be loved. You will be part of the group when. Well, it turns out you can focus on uh, skills that are right here in front of you that don't necessarily require commercial products. And that combination of being able to take perspective, to care about the feelings of others and to not avoid your own empowers you to, as you say, you know, take those values-based steps, which are also naturally social and pro-social, in a far more reliable way than uh, just buying that fancy car or buying the right beer or the other kinds of things that uh, uh, commercial uh, interests are are trying to get us to believe are avenues to happiness and yeah. This is something, this is a, a technical question, Steve, that, um, you know, uh, we, we often think of positive reinforcement as um, what we've all learned is, that, you know, you got something that you didn't have before and it's something that you, you know, is, is, uh, uh, is valuable to you. But when I, you know, looking at that a little more carefully, when you think of most of these uh, external or commercial things if I for example long for a particular object and then I get it uh, what I've noticed that it's not it's actually mostly a negative reinforcement that I've um, relieved my longing for something and then just a little bit of uh, maybe a kick but it's um, it's a long ways in from actually when we're talking about values as, as something completely different qualitatively than than the consumer external. Yeah, I think it's a um, it's understandable, but it doesn't uh, really last in the way that uh, no. these uh, deeper uh, ones do. And in 
In fact, I think if you think about this in terms of, of compassion and connection, the ones that do last are the ones that empower us in terms of our values and bring us closer to contribution, intimacy, uh, connection, participation uh, with others. And it's, it's not by accident that people, when they uh, put down uh, their uh, commercial focus, uh, the natural direction to look is towards the the good of others, and uh, so and and that is deeply reinforcing in another way that is I think far more lasting than uh, just buying the uh, product. Although that's fine if you have the money to uh, to have those things, but if you take them to be substitutions for connection and caring with others, you're going to find uh, they're empty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve, how can we extend these insights from ACT and evolution science into the larger world? One of the things that we're doing now inside the contextual behavioral science community that's very exciting is that we've made an alliance with evolution scientists who are trying to bring this perspective into the development of pro-social groups. And so, for example, David Sloan Wilson at Binghamton uh, University has developed a project through the Evolution uh, Institute called ProSocial, mm-hmm. which is bringing some of the ideas of the late Nobel Prize winner uh, Eleanor Ostrom. Mm-hmm. Her ideas resonate deeply with the acceptance and mindfulness work. What she found is that indigenous peoples could find ways to protect their common pool resources, such as li- rivers and forests and streams, but only under certain conditions in which they could identify with each other well as a group. They had ways of resolving the conflict between the group. They were uh, aware of what it is that they were trying to do together uh, as a group and would confront uh, selfishness and uh, unfair distribution of uh, resources. And there's some additional principles, but those central ones. So what we've done is we've combine some of the ACT ideas into the identification of what are the barriers to being part of the group, and then some clarity about what are the values of your participation in the group as that first critical step in Eleanor Ostrom's work, which is defining who are you as a group and what are you up to. And so we are combining ACT ideas and these ideas from Ostrom's design principles for pro-social groups and creating an international uh, web-based training and development effort that will take groups of any size, of any sort, and teach them how to use a little bit of ACT to get clear about what the barriers are, how to bring people close to each other, what the values are in the group, and then to use some of these uh, evolutionarily sensible principles about how do we work together and manage uh, the focus on the good of the group with these issues that come up that can tend to have us be more selfish. And we'll see. Do you have any examples of that, Steve, of what what you've done? Well, what we've been doing is uh, testing it out with a number of different groups. Uh, For example, uh, in my classes on uh, evolution and human behavior, I've been having uh, people... uh, learn these design principles and learn these uh, ACT principles and to combine them in the groups that they're already participating in. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I can give you an example, one of the groups wanted to uh, 
uh, get to raise money for uh, bringing small devices into Africa that allow you to drink dirty water and yet it's safe. There, these small devices, you can put it right inside rivers, lakes, streams that are polluted, and the water that you drink when they come through these handheld devices are safe to drink. And so we uh, organized a series of events uh, on campus and had people who are participating in this actually film uh, uh, what they were doing and to speak to what their values were and what they hoped would happen uh, in the lives of others as a result of uh, raising the money to buy these uh, uh, devices. And to, it became kind of a, uh, a self-propagating process. It ended up on YouTube. There was a local a TED Talk that was invited. And the whole campus became more attentive to the possibility of, in some small way, helping people who are far, far away that we may never know and may never see, but whose lives will be better because uh, we did something to uh, raise that money. And that, that combination of these design principles and act concepts, especially clarifying the values that are inside this and allowing your groups to be defined by uh, compassion and caring, taking the perspective of others, having empathy for the position that they're in, uh, led to concrete uh, outcomes. And that was just one of several groups that were in, in, in the class that I taught. And it's an example of what we're trying to do is to one group at a time, small or large, find ways to empower groups to that bring people into groups in a way that um, connect deeply and resonate deeply with who they are. And in the clinical service that you've been hearing over the last year, this is not a matter of repairing or fixing human beings. It's a matter of empowering them. And when people step into their own sense of consciousness, when they open up, when they connect with their values, the next logical step is, where am I going to take that in my life? And where am I going to take that in creating a more pro-social world? And that's what we're trying to do, is create an international process that will allow people to do that. Wow, Steve, that, that sounds like such a impressive intention and and such a wonderful alternative to to the opposite of of the increase in violence and stigmatization that we see if people google the the evolution institute they'll be able to find the links to the pro social project and as it moves forward to be able to participate in it Okay. Steve, this is uh, the last program for the season. Um, do you have any advice to the people who are listening? I know there's a quite a, a lot of listeners are interested in ACT and, and um, the Association for Contextual Behavior Science. Do you have any last uh, words you'd like to say? Well, we've kind of created a, a whole, we've gone around a circle here in, in this year, and this is a good place to end it, I think. In this first year, and congratulations on what you've what you've done. To just see that the the effort that you're doing to learn to stand with yourself in an open and self compassionate and kind way is part of a larger effort. This is not a self focused, selfish effort on your part. You're not broken. You don't need to be repaired. What you need to do is come into the present moment as a conscious human being and to to feel, sense, and remember what's there to be felt, sense, and remembered, but then be able to turn your mind towards what you deeply care about. 
And that is healing to people as individuals, but it also is empowering to the role of individuals in the larger society. And I think what you see in these shows and what you see in this community that we're building is this combination of acceptance, mindfulness, and values at the level of the individual, but embedded in a larger social concern for others. And that's a, 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 a journey that inherently involves the entire group. So if you're, if you're listening and you're an individual who are applying these methods, you are part of this process. You are naturally part of it, even if you're not the professional or the person doing the research in your own life. As you bring these processes into your life, you're bringing them into the lives of those around you. And in some small way, you're involved in a cultural transformation that is necessary in the modern, busy world that we're in, in the world in which you said uh, violence can be visited not just by states, but individuals who have hate in their heart anywhere you go, stigma and prejudice anywhere you go. And we need to find a, a counterbalance that is not just more criticism and blame and shame and finger wagging and telling other people they're not doing it right, but instead reaches into their heart, empowers them to come into themselves in a more full and open way and to bring their humanity into the group for the good of others. Thank you so much, Steve, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Joe. You've been listening to a very inspiring talk by uh, Dr. Stephen Hayes, who is a professor at Nevada Foundation Professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada. Steve is author of 34 books and over 500 scientific articles. His best-selling book, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, uh, is available uh, on his on Amazon.com and you can read more about Steve and his work uh, on his website and you can get into that by clicking his name and also seeing the Association for Contextual Behavior Science clicking his name on this week's episode of ACT Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.